In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Mr. Alan Fadden. Hello, Carla. I'm excited this part two. And part two is always more fun than a part one. <laughs> for, especially for us that want to wrap something up and get on to the next thing, right? Us movers. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's so exciting to share this today. Uh, and, and really, we broke this up into a two-part series. And it is about why people leave bosses or that people leave bosses, not companies. And even though we know this inherently, Right? We're approaching work with a 19th century mentality when it's the 21st century. And this has been going on for as long as, well, probably as long as time, but we've, Gallup has done a really great job, Forbes. There's tons of research that we actually went through and we'll be communicating with you is that even though we know this is a huge, ginormous problem, and we know that the two biggest costs to any business are turnover and a bad hire. Okay, so obviously we're not talking about a bad hire here today. We're talking about turnover. And Forbes just recently did a study that the cost associated with turnover, or a lot in the, a lot of reasons we give this corporate word buzzword to it, employee engagement, and then they leave you, is. 33% of the salary of an individual. So if they make 100,000 a year, the cost of them turning over is $33,000. And that's directly to the bottom line, the tangible costs. And then there are the intangible costs. Yeah. And if number one, the performance drops. If you've got a bad hire in there, there's like a missing link in the chain and everybody's performance goes down because they can't depend on this person they were trying to depend on. Secondly, it's like the longer that person stays, the more negative thought comes in that drains your energy. It kills your momentum. And uh, so it's a, it's a very, very uh, destructive, destructive thing. And ultimately, you know, the, the whole company can uh, start going down. The other thing is uh, if you're their boss and, and, uh, and you've got a, a bad hire and you're part of the problem that, uh, that in, impacts on your career, your reputation. And that research, by the way, about the uh, people leave bosses, not companies, uh, that comes from uh, Gallup once again. And 50% of the people left their job because of a bad boss. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? That's just amazing yes. to me. And you know, um, and you had said bad hire, even though we're talking about turnover, but you actually prompted me to think those, that's two sides of the same coin and a thin coin, because think about it. They could say bad hire, oh, because you didn't do the work. Think about that for a second. I've never thought it about that, thought about it that way. Like, how are you classifying it? Because, you know, what, right. 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure. We've talked about that all the time. 
from Edward Stemming. So we call people a bad hire, but they could just be miscast. And then all of a sudden that leads to turnover. Like I've always thought of those as separate, but actually the top two costs to any businesses are completely enfolded in each other. Yeah, absolutely true. So, and it, if you don't fit, that's a big problem. And we're going to talk about that uh, again in part two here, that the key to all this is, is fit and sequence. And uh, bad hire, maybe they just don't fit. Yeah, maybe no they're kidding. miscast. Yeah. yeah, think about, I mean, there's obvious reasons, right, that you just shove them over to a bad hire because, you know, but at, most of the time, I bet you those are completely entwined in each other. And the society of, uh, what is it, human resources management, Every, everyone calls them SHRM, even though yes. SHRM, they call it SHRM. Um, one of those, you know, uh, acronyms you forget after using it for so long. But 77% of the cause of turnover is um, preventable. So if we know we have this huge problem, we know that what we have done isn't working. We know that 70% of people hate their jobs. Like, hello, what are we going to do about it? And it reminds me of that. We also were, um, Harvard Business Review identified that we spend almost $400 billion worldwide on training. And at the end of this really great report, awesome report, it identified that, oh, how you fix it? Systems and processes. Good luck. <laughs> it was like, well, give me a system, give me a process, because they're correct, oh. right? 90 Knowing is the booby prize. Just because we know it, it doesn't mean we can do it. Yes, and that's what we are talking about today here, implementation. So part one of this podcast was about ideation. What are we going to do? And it walked step by step through the process that you can use in order to figure out what to do. For this podcast, we are going to talk about implementation. Okay, how do and, we implement and how do we do it? And interesting, there was a Fortune Magazine article about uh, CEOs who get fired and 90% of them uh, lost their jobs because they couldn't get a new idea done in their own company. And I can't tell the amount, you or anybody else, the amount of times that we've been in a company and uh, done a bunch of ideas and uh, somebody pipes up and says, oh, we had that idea 20 years ago. We just couldn't <laughs> get it done. <laughs> okay, so, is there a problem here? Oh, no kidding. And that's exactly the throw people under the bus piece, right? And so without the process and the system in order to get it done, um, you know, that's the that's what corporate America does is they start pointing fingers, right? And, uh, and, and I couldn't believe that stat though. 90% of CEOs um, get fired because they can't get an idea done because, you know, just like you were saying, Simon Sinek, 10% of any market are Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm. There's a whole bunch of different research you can look at there. You can trip over 10% of the market just by being someplace at the right time. So if 90% of them are getting canned because they can't get the idea done, Look at the balance of the 10%. It's kind yeah, of interesting 10%. think about it. I accidentally got an idea done. Well, there's <laughs> some uh, pretty uh, <clears throat> interesting uh, uh, examples of that, too. Like, for example, Chrysler, uh, Lee Iacocca, turned the company around by inventing the minivan, by marketing the minivan, extremely successful product, changed the way transportation worked, uh, but the funny part of it was that Chrysler didn't really invent the minivan. It was GM, General Motors. 
And I yep. can see the meeting, somebody sitting in a meeting and saying, uh, well, nice idea to do a minivan and you've got everything right except for one thing. That's going to kill our station wagon business. And, you know, they were right about it. It did kill their station wagon business. But, <laughs> but they didn't have the minivan. <laughs> they didn't have the minivan. So not only did they, their station wagon business get killed, but Chrysler, instead of General Motors, got all the revenue from it. Man, the minivan really did decimate the station wagon. Like, I know yep. we've talked about that before. It's been a while, but you're right. It just crushed uh, the station wagon. And it's still the minivan is one of the most popular types of vehicle. Mm. In, yeah, and after that, the SUV then came along too, and that that uh, buried the station wagon, as one might say. <laughs> but the same one thing was is just true a, with a shallow grave. The other one, <laughs> yeah, that's right, ten feet under. Uh, the other great example of that is uh, digital camera. You know, basically, digital put Kodak under because why they were a legacy film business. They didn't want to give up their film business. Extremely profitable. They had all, you know, they owned all the stuff, the silver and all that. And, uh, uh, but they are the people actually who invented the digital camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're responsible for not coming out for a while because they kind of said, I don't think we're going to put that out. You know what that's going to do to our film business? Yeah, and, no uh, kidding. So, oh, we can't have a digital camera. Remember we had all those Polaroids and all those really fun, like, things with flashy lights that you, like, buy the crystal to stick and we're dating <laughs> ourselves right. here that we actually know what those are by the way the polaroid actually has come back recently kids are like running around think it's the coolest thing ever that they can click on it and actually, <laughs> i was like okay guys <laughs> well there's a whole other story we probably shouldn't get into about that but the opposite of any truth is oftentimes an even greater truth according to niels bohr the danish physicist and uh, IBM, they sold their selectric typewriter business to some former employees, and they ran that business profitably for about 20 years after the invention of the PC. So uh, go figure. Yeah. There's always, uh, you know, for everything, the opposite's always true, too. Isn't that true? Well, I was just noticing today um, as I walked by one of the desks that the mail was sitting on. And remember when it went down to almost nothing? Well, now all of yep. a sudden everybody's marketing via mail again because everyone's going electronic. So now what was old is new. I'm like, Well, the funniest part about that, I think, is that whenever you want to get something new that's digital, the killer of the mail business, how do you get it? Through the mail. <laughs> so everybody orders all their digital stuff uh, so they can do all their emails, but if they get it through the U.S. mail, like from Amazon, for example. That's hilarious. Uh, when you, you think know. about it, right? And there, actually, we've got a really great process for that on another podcast, but we'll have to put that on the list of things to do. Um, Absolutely. To, um, opposites. Um, and so, wait, we have to tell one more story about yes. you and how you invented the Jumbotron. This is That's great. Right. This is amazing to me. This just, it, it just blows me away. But this, is, this happens every day. Great ideas are killed every day. And that's what we're going to talk about, how to still get a good idea done using a process. But you got to share the story, Alan. Well, yeah, just think about this. Uh, if you want to invent a great product, just think about what annoys you. And I happen to be uh, in a time where they had uh, just gotten uh, instant replay on television. And uh, I had season tickets to an NFL team. And uh, so if I stayed home 
and didn't pay for a ticket to the game, I could watch replays, which were great. Uh, but I couldn't watch them at the stadium because there was no way to do that at the time. So uh, I came up with an idea of let's build a giant TV screen. And I know a technology company who can do this. They were just doing a, a lot of imaging and digital technology way back then. And uh, so we put together a few people and decided to uh, pursue this idea. And we're going to put jumbo TV sets in every stadium in the NFL. Now, the beautiful thing about that is that in the television advertising, it's very hard to reach wealthy males. Well, guess who was at the football games? Mm -hmm. At the time, mostly wealthy males. And there were also two products that couldn't advertise on television at the time, and that was cigarettes and liquor. Yep. And so we, so uh, gosh, how much would the liquor companies pay to get in front of an audience like that on with a television persuasion of a television commercial? Same thing with the tobacco companies. I had no morals at the time. And uh, <laughs> so we put together all the right people. We got it all the way to Pete Rozelle, the commissioner of the NFL. And he said, no. And we said, well, why? He said, well, because if we put replays in the stadiums, think about that, they're in the stadiums today, says people will kill the referees. <laughs> so I bet you he was had, a prover. Yeah, and if we'd have had our process, then uh, we could have just simply said, well, you know, be selective about which replays you show. If it's controversial, don't show it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much what they did. They show almost everything today, but uh, uh, in what? fact, they've got the guys changing the plays now. If the re if the replay shows the referees were wrong, so you know anything like that can be solved in in a very short time. But we didn't have the process at the time, and so <laughs> ten years later at the uh, Superdome in New Orleans, I think they introduced the first jumbo prize. Crazy with its replay. You know what this reminds me of too is you know. You, we hire trainers, consultants, right? You have people in your team that you assemble to go get research and all of this stuff. And when somebody has absolute power, it's even worse. I mean, we talk about the skeet shoot meeting and that's exactly what this is. You threw out the idea, commissioner of the NFL goes bang, right? So it's idea, bang. Shut idea. down. It's crazy. And it, and what happens is, and this is actually why we have an agreement when we do training, because absolute power is the, is the old way of doing business. And these millennials are running so quickly uh, from it because they know that if you, I can just walk in and say no, because I said so, it's like, that's just not the facilitation and the you know, what they want to be a part of, right? They want to be a part of putting the dent on the universe, not just being the minion, which by the way, is what, you know, schools were actually created for way back in the day. Think about it. They're creating manufacturing workers. Yep. And that's a whole other conversation we can go off forever. But this absolute power thing is a big problem for people that leave their bosses. Well, yeah. And the, the old quote from Lord Acton, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So true. So, so uh, we talked last time about uh, people, uh, well, the average millennial stays at a company for 18 months and uh, they, they have the dream and they go in the company to change the world. And after two months, the dream is uh, crushed. And so the rest of what, the other 16 months are out interviewing. Yeah. And, uh, 
by the way, you can tell because they come to work dressed up and the only, that would be the only time probably a millennial would come to work dressed <laughs> up because how the hell are you going to play ping pong or air hockey wearing a suit coat or a, or a dress? Yeah, that's so true. And so the solution to this is the relay team and what we're going to talk about today. Yes. And it's a, it's a place where, uh, People just haven't looked at this. It's, they don't know what they don't know. And so what do they do? They try to sophisticate all the old ways of, of doing things. Yeah. And the other piece is, you know, so many of the large companies have the big budgets, right, to be able to use and implement this process. But I'll tell you, it's necessary for all. I don't even care if it's trying to get, you know, your house built or anything. This can, process can be used in implementation. Um, with anything, but instead of doing a relay team, you know, you get people, you know, crashing into each other, running down the track instead of staying in their own lane. I mean, can you imagine doing a relay uh, and it, you were skipping down half the time and kicking other people to the side or better yet, all four people running down the track at the same time. Doesn't that sound like a really great idea uh, when you're trying to get across the finish line, right? Especially if Especially if they're all holding onto this tiny little baton, tripping over each other, and then uh, somebody falls down, you kind of have to drag them the rest of the way. It really slows you down. Exactly. But yet, that's exactly how we run our meetings. That's exactly how you know, we try to implement is this juggling effect of just, okay, this is where we're at. This is what we need to do. But the truth of the matter is we need you all, all four core natures of work, However, we need you at different times. So the solution is to use the process. Now, again, there are two parts to the process and they are different. They have the same players, movers, shakers, provers, and makers. However, the process is different. And what we're gonna talk about today is the second part, which is the process in regards to implementation. How are we going to do it? And it starts with fit and sequence with the relay team. Absolutely. And uh, it's interesting because uh, implementation is is quite a bit, just look at the result, implementation is a lot tougher than, than uh, ideation. And, uh, but what you do is the, is the whole thing kind of uh, moves over one core nature. And whereas in ideation, it's the it's the shaker, the mover, and the prover. And the mover is kind of like the point person that's running everything. Well, once you get to implementation, it starts with the prover who runs everything and who actually takes the idea and uh, gives the uh, instructions to the maker who can implement it into the process. And the mover is part of that as well, but uh, the mover's monitoring it looking for breakdowns uh, to make sure that the prover and the mover don't get frustrated or change uncomfortable the plan. and go and, and change <laughs> the plan back to what they were doing before because yeah. that can happen all the time because remember the mover's output is the plan they hand the plan off to the prover right and then yep. they create the instructions to hand to the maker and then make the rules and, and follow the process. But the mover is a part of the process, but a very different part of the process than in implementation than ideation. Yeah, because they're 
their input is instructions and uh, then their output is reality and that's uh, that reality can come in a couple ways one is they can uh, the reality is is making the whole new plan work and be installed as part of the processes of the company but then it can also be uh, they can be, be in an, uh, a meeting and like the prover who generates reality in an ideation meeting, uh, a mover can generate reality during implementation, or excuse a me, maker. a maker, yeah. thank you. Can, uh, I got can, you back. Uh, thank you, I appreciate that. Oh, fell down again. <laughs> uh, can uh, uh, generate reality uh, just simply by saying, well, you know, that's a really good idea and everything, you know, if they get real detailed about it and they say, well, you know, we, we've always shipped things out the loading dock, but we've never taken any, anything in or before. Where are we going to put it? So they'll <laughs> fly like at about 50 feet up and they'll see things nobody else saw. And so then you've got to still work it out. And oftentimes the prover can work it out by just changing the instructions. But then it's something maybe the prover can't solve. Then it kicks back up to the mover and the whole thing can kick right back up to ideation if the, if the obstacle the problem is big enough to solve. Then yes. you need an ideation team back on it. Yes. So it's and sometimes tricky. it is, and it's a dance between the two. And that's why yeah. we did two separate podcasts, but understanding that, that it's a, it's a science and an art because you have to be able to understand when you have to go back to ideation. If a, if a, oh, the challenge is so large that you move back to ideation, right. Or it could be just a meeting, right. That now all of a sudden the maker kicks it back to the prover. Prover doesn't know how to exactly adjust instructions, goes back to the mover. Now the mover can also just go find the shaker and say, hey, give me yep. some input, take it back to the prover, poke all the holes in it. And in that dance of, and again, if you wanna learn that process, go back to part one of this series where we go through it in detail. And then what happens is as you shift to implementation, you have to know when that is. Right. So there's a big trust there between the and that's why the mover must check in on the process. You can't just go, good luck. We still need you all. We need you at different times. We need you at different amounts of time at different parts of the process. Even that dance between ideation and implementation is so critical, um, you know, and I think one of the biggest uh, obstacles we were talking about earlier Alan, is the commitment that you need from the prover. So let's talk about a couple of the pitfalls. When you're utilizing the process, you know, in implementation, you've got your prover as the point guard, because remember, he got handed over, or she got handed over the plan. They're going to take that plan. They're going to create all the instructions, right, that need to be handed over to get to the point of replicating it, which is what makers do extremely well, Okay. However, what happens, Alan, when the prover doesn't commit to, the, to this? Because we've seen this happen mm -hmm. all the time. It's one of the biggest pitfalls. We'll talk about some others, but this is a real big one. Um, if it, you don't have that, it, it's training. huge, and it happens all the time. And there are several of you out there who are maybe listening right now and reaching up to your head and uh, winding up with large clumps of hair in your hand, quite separate from your head. <laughs> over this, it's the it's the prover who says. Yeah, we kind of tried that, but we really couldn't make it work, you know. And I know that uh, Eugene was getting upset about all this because he just, you know, it kind of uh, messed up his routine. 
and and so you know what happens is that it'll put people in a place where they'll make enormous decisions about about the company and the company strategy and their execution and the future and all that and it'll change the whole course of the business because somebody's uncomfortable yeah essentially and, uh, altering it's the a tragedy plan, right it's altering the oh plan. yeah and it's even worse right. if you've got a prover shaker because their secondary core nature of work is just to come up with the idea and fix it and sometimes change it completely and now all of a sudden we call this culture or we call it personality differences right and we give all these labels to it but the truth is you just abandoned your process yeah and 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 it's uh it, it can be a disaster for the company if they're depending on making a big change to something if somebody ch makes a change uh uh just single-handedly and doesn't tell anybody you may not even realize what they're doing for days or even weeks so that's and, why the uh, mover must they're in charge of the project as far as the plan and facilitating it they have to check in so either having a regular hey how's that going or you know a lot of times there's even project management heck base camp and asana are all used there's tons of them but i would laugh to say they're not overlaying the core nature of work to then check in right so it gets us not. we have a game we play with this and it's hilarious it's the most absolute ridiculous thing in regards to project management when you don't <laughs> use the process and i don't identify as somebody core nature of work it just falls back then on what their title is and what we deem they think right they should be um uh, responsible for or not responsible for or have the ability or even worse alan it goes the complete different way where everybody's trying to control everything and you have to get approval from 50 different people to even make a decision right there's a whole other side of it if the company um, and the entire team isn't engaged in uh adopting and that's a knee-jerk reaction is uh old friend of mine used to say rules are for people you don't trust and uh, so, you know, something bad happens and what happens? Management cracks down and puts in more like stage gate innovation processes where you got to get permission to do everything. And the company uh, uh, will calcify, become bureaucratic, and uh, that can be the end of the company too. Yep, absolutely. Believe me, everybody knows the story. And you know, I love it. We were doing a training one time and Alan, you said, we're just putting words to what's already common sense and known. And the unfortunate thing is we've also heard that common sense isn't so common. So, and it is a dance, like we were saying, and it's an art and a science. So, you know, it's really, it's super like simplicity on the other side of complexity, but at the same time, you know, climbing to the top of Mount Everest, it's really, really simple. Put one foot in front of the other, but there's a reason why there's a whole bunch of people that died trying to accomplish it because it is not easy by any stretch of the means right so we have to make sure we get this commitment right because this is a big pitfall make sure the movers checking in so you don't shift back to the old way of doing things and remember it's a dance between ideation and implementation so then uh, the other piece is and of course that leads to the what we call the run home to mommy factor that Alan was talking about right just going back to the old way going back to what was comfortable because change is again easy but um, not our simple but not easy right until we've used a process over and over again and I would venture to say with that pitfall Alan the best way to overcome it make sure your movers are trained and make sure that they know the process take the time to get them up to speed and give people the ability to lead every one of them 
Your shakers need to lead in the way that they do best, the movers, the provers, and the makers. Leadership is for everybody when the object of the exercise is to get something done. But you must hand that baton off and give them the power to do that and not even let the CEO come and say, eh, I'm just going to blow it up, right? That's so, right. I felt like I was on the soapbox there. <laughs> I, I like that. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edge you off the soapbox and, and say one more thing, and that is, and in order to accomplish that, uh, there is a person who should be running the process and they should have the authority to run the process and to make sure that everybody stays on it. And that, that best person is the mover because mm -hmm. the mover is most easily able to straddle both worlds of uh, ideation and implementation. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because, and as a Uber mover, uh, it's because we don't have a dog in the fight. Remember, 15% of the population will say yes to an idea. That's it, 15%. And the reason why is because they don't have a dog in the fight. Shakers will say no if it's not their idea, right? Provers say no because there's too much wrong with it. And makers are like, I just cleaned this place up two months ago. I just cleaned this place <laughs> up two months ago, right? And no, that you are not coming in and messing this up when we just got to the point of being able to replicate this process that we talked about. And so it's really you, you remind, Go ahead. You remind me of a meme I saw the other day online and it said, kind of a parallel thought, it said, you know, I dusted the house. It came back. I'm not falling for that again. <laughs> that's really funny yeah. that's a good one i gotta try that one out um because it does come back right so and, yes and the crazy thing is is that although this has been used by you know 25 plus of the fortune 100 and these big corporations and people that in the past anyway that had had a budget obviously technology has helped us in getting this into you know, we're even working um, with our certified trainers in startups, brand new startups, right? In, in those guys, your whole focus is to use momentum and get to profit as quickly as possible. So you don't become a statistic of 90% of um, uh, companies failing within the first 10 years. So this is important. Remember, across the um, it doesn't matter for your huge company. It doesn't matter if you're thinking about starting a company. And I would even venture to say, Alan, that if you were starting it and you started using the process from the day of launch, or at least, you know, get an agreement. Sometimes we'll work with VCs that are putting money into companies because they want to make sure they're protecting their investment. And agreement is you're going to use this process. You're going to be learned in this process is that that's probably easier, don't you think, Alan, than sometimes when we go into these large companies because they're just not nimble. They're, they're you know, they, a lot of times there's a, a lot of past issues um, it, and we call it culture, but it's basically not having a process, right? It's all this stuff and this, as you would say, junk in the trunk that you have to deal with. So with those earlier stage companies, not only do they need it to survive, but they also can be quite effective and nimble when they're implementing it. Absolutely. You know, their, their problem is that in the startups oftentimes is that nobody's shutting them down. And so what they're doing is they're unfocused and they're trying to do eight different things at once. So they're the other end of the, 
the other side of the coin of uh, calcification. But you're not you're not going to get anything done that way either. Just as you won't get anything done if an authoritarian shuts everybody down and it has to be done their way. So how do you deal with that? Is you you don't use that coin anymore. You throw that coin away because it's not doing anything for you. Yeah, I love it. And in any company, you know, I love this, Alan. I don't even know if this is um, like written anywhere, but you know what Warren Buffett said. Alan was speaking at Fortune's Innovation <laughs> Forum, and Warren Buffett gets up to the mic and goes. I, I don't know why I'm here. I hate innovation. <laughs> I can imagine the audience, right? When he said that, right? The number one like uh, investor in the entire world goes, I don't know why I'm speaking here. I hate innovation. And you know why? Because you got to get to printing money. You have to get to the re repeatable That's process. Right. And everybody you just buy companies later on. You know, they've yeah. already established that replicable pattern. And cash exactly. flow is good. Exactly. And then that reduces the risk when you want to get to the point of repeating the process and what they like to call in business printing money. You'll never get to printing money if you don't repeat a process. And if you don't know how to do research and development and be innovative and agile, you'll never keep printing the money because somebody will come and eat your breakfast or eat your and lunch. your lunch. Yeah. And your lunch <laughs> and your dinner. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, and this is why everybody's overweight. <laughs> or they're overweight because 70% hate their jobs and they have to they have eat. comfort <laughs> food every evening emotionally when they get eat. home, emotionally do something because, you know, and again, that's, we'll just end it with that. 70% of people hate their job. That's what Gallup has reported uh, in the past 30 years. They've been doing the study. Numbers are almost equal across the board and we are on a mission to revolutionize the way work is done because think about that what that does to people's finances their well-being and health their relationships especially with their family and we spend more time working than we do anything else in life and so go back listen to part one of the series in regards to ideation what are you going to do and then i hope you enjoyed this series part two implementation how are you going to get it done Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.